Today's guest is the proprietress of WhimsyDark.com and writes stories in multiple genres, including fantasy, horror, steampunk, paranormal romance, geek erotica, and young adult fiction. She's the author of the Blood series, Servants of the Storm, the hit series, Star Wars The Perfect Weapon, Wake of Vultures, and a smattering of comics and short stories. She's a huge fan of Star Wars, superhero movies, tattoos, cosplay, cheese, dark chocolate, going to cons, The Walking Dead, Adventure Time, tacos, cupcakes, and horseback riding, just to name a few. When she's not writing fiction, she's writing blog posts for sites like Terrible Minds and CoolMomTech.com, teaching courses for Lit Reactor, being a wife, a mom, a geek of all trades, and an overall literary badass. Fantasy fans can check out her short story, Uncharming and the Unbound Anthology, and her latest novel, Strike, drops April 12th. She joins us today to share her wisdom, wit, and insights into the life of being a cutting-edge author in today's ever-evolving publishing industry. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Please just follow me everywhere and read that intro, like Medieval (laughs) Scribe. I feel pretty good now. Ooh, I have to add that. Medieval Scribe. Nice. Next time I introduce you, I'll bring that one in. So you're in the uh, the North Georgia mountains this morning. Yeah, well that that yeah, it was kinda that was kinda Savannah Patrician. We're more we're more like banjos. (laughs) It's more deliverance up here. Oh, okay. You have a really Uh, shitty impression, Rob. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Well that that was like Foghorn Leghorn, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. I'm the fl- I'm the Foghorn Leghorn of the Grim Tidings <laughs> podcast. I'll take that time. But uh, yeah, Phil is a Mississippi boy, so it's good to have a little kind of family reunion or so to speak of regions here <laughs> on the show. <laughs> Something like that. We're just all sitting in a big bowl of grits. <laughs> put some butter. Put some butter in some grits. Stir mm-hmm. that up. All right, we can get along. Nice. I like that line. What exactly is a grit? What is the question? <laughs> no, I know what a grit is. Food. That's right. We don't have grits in Salem or Portland, Oregon. It just grits aren't a staple of the hipster diet. I'm sorry. It just doesn't happen that way. I so let's talk about books. Books, yes. Books. We yeah. There's plenty of topics that we could dive in today. You are a you, you you're a pro. Uh, you've got a pretty solid website, pretty solid um, online presence for Twitter and Instagram, and you are uh, writing some cutting edge fiction. And uh, Wake of Vultures, I think, is one book that we can dive into to begin with. I think it might be um, uh, one that our grimdark crowd might be a little bit more attuned to checking out. It came out uh, this past October, and you wrote it under the pen name of Lila Bowen. Could you maybe tell us just a little bit about Wake of Vultures and what readers can expect from this series? Sure. Wake of Vultures, uh, actually the inspiration of it was a late night tweet. Basically, I was curious about what would happen if Lonesome Dove had real live monsters, if Blue Duck was a legit Wendigo. And then the next thought was, and what if the hero was a girl? Then the next thought was, uh, and then what if she killed everybody? So it is a weird West um, kind of grim old Texas setting where uh, a young girl who's raised as a slave accidentally kills a white man and he ends up being a vampire. And after that, she can see monsters everywhere. She goes to the saloon. The soiled doves are vampires. Uh, She goes, you know, to uh, the the plains and finds that uh, some of the marauders are, are werewolves. So it's a reimagining of the Old West where the bad guys are actually monsters and when you kill them, they turn into sand, which suddenly makes you wonder why everything is full of sand. So I, I just want to say quickly, I, I, I read uh, the beginning of it so far and uh, that's probably one of the creepiest uh, vampires I've ever come across, the, the first vampire. <laughs> so if, right. you like, 
creepy vampires, please check out this book because that's a creepy ass vampire in the fr- beginning of the book. What are your plans for the series on that? Delilah is a duology trilogy, uh, ten book series. Or? Uh, so far, a duology. I'm hoping for more because uh, Nettie deserves more than just one book. And there's so many cool things you can do in the Wild West and in Texas. Um, book two is written and turned in. It'll be out this October. And I can tell you it was inspired a lot by Deadwood and Hell on Wheels and that Nettie ends up tangling with the railroad boss. Uh, so if you like those TV shows, you will you will like this book as far as uh, taking the characters I've already got and throwing them into an evil, even more horrible place. <laughs> more full of monsters. It's definitely, it, it, it is a, a, a story that sounds very visual. Any plans for any other mediums for, for this tale, like comics or anything else beyond the prose fiction? I mean, I would love that. Uh, as y'all know, authors are not as in control of their properties as they want. I mean, it would make a great graphic novel. I would love to see that. Uh, and, and comics, too, would be really fun. You know, it's very kind of episodic monster hunt where you could have a monster of the week and fill in all sorts of gaps with fun stuff. And, you know, I, I saw that godforsaken Johnny Depp uh, Lone Ranger and was like, I can write this <laughs> so much better with all of these, uh, all of the all of the pieces are there, but if only the writing had been there. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm, I'm wide open for all that and would love to see it happen. And you do have a, a background in comics. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, my background, I was a visual artist. I didn't write my first book until 2009. So um, I have an art degree. I used to do murals and teach kids classes and stuff. Um, but once I started writing, I realized I was a much better writer than I was a painter. I've never been quite satisfied with my, my painter. So it was really nice to start writing and be like, oh, this is cool. I don't hate this every day. <laughs> um, but I have been in a anthology every year through Monkey Brain called uh, Boo. B-O-O apostrophe. So every year I get to play around and have like little six shot comic with a different illustrator. Um, this year's one was called The X-Files. It was a play on, as you might have guessed, The X-Files. Ah. Um, so yeah, I, I would love to get into <laughs> comics, but I am learning that the comics world will teach you how extremely easy and pleasant the novel publishing industry is because, man, it is hard to get a foot in the door. So as far as uh, your graphic design background, so you're you're heavily into to art in some capacity even even now do you dabble in any artistic kind of stuff other than writing oh, about once a year i'll get a wild hair and have to go paint something um last year after watching hannibal i had to go paint the raven stag so we've got a raven stag in our room but nice. before i started writing um before i had kids i, I had you know like a, a one-man show every year and was in local galleries and then uh, it just kind of dried up. And now the, the writing, you know, once people started paying me real money for my writing, there wasn't a huge point in making art that nobody really paid for. So I definitely am sticking to the words. So I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, Monster. So anytime people say Monster, my ears, <laughs> my ears go, so, or whatever, ears, <laughs> whatever sound ears make. Could you tell us a little bit more? So there's vampires and werewolves. What other possible monsters would you find in the Old West? Oh man, there's so many possibilities. Um, I've got uh, harpies, which uh-huh. you know, if you if you don't see the monsters, you just see you know a bunch of vultures flying around. But once you can see them, they're like these creepy birds with old lady eyes and big dangling dugs that you know are cussing at you <laughs> while they rip out your eyeballs. Um, there's <laughs> sirens. I like the idea. You know, sirens used to be uh, on islands in the middle of the ocean. I really like the idea of a siren in the middle of the desert. Mm. Ooh, that's cool. Um, yeah. 
got uh, werewolves like Lobos or some of the more like marauding people. Um, I have some of the Native American tribes set up as, you know, herd animals that they can turn into. So like, you know, there's I think Nettie meets uh, a a tribe of Javelina. And so like when they want to move, they'll they'll have like the larger members pulling Travi with their stuff on them. I don't know. I liked in this world transcribing some of the atrocities that happened into uh, natural. You know, it's like we know that they slaughtered the buffalo tribes. We know that they slaughtered Native Americans. You know, what if some of the buffalo they slaughtered were the Native Americans and they were just gone? But the the book very much plays with, you know, are the men monsters or, or you know, are the monsters the men? You know, where who's doing the slaughtering and, and is, it, uh, is it just? Uh, I've got the Durango Rangers, which are like a version of the Texas Rangers. And you want to think that they're, you know, we, we have such a complicated relationship with these things from the past because the, the victor writes the histories and you look back and you're like, man, you know, you hear Texas Rangers, Lonesome Dove, Walker, Texas Ranger, Texas Rangers are good guys. And then you look at some of the stuff they did and you're like, some of these people were not good guys and they were just <laughs> slaughtering children, basically. So I've got the Texas Rangers as the Durango Rangers who are supposed to protect people from monsters. And you look closer and you're like, mm, they're kind of protecting the white guys from people that aren't white. And <laughs> then you meet some that are good people that are really trying to do the right thing. And then you meet some that are that are not as good people. Uh, so the book very much delves into not only the super fun monsters uh, that you get to get in big fights with, um, but also uh, some of the real atrocities that happened. There's also like uh, there's shifters. There are some shifter coyotes. So you know you might see this coyote walking along holding you know a bow and arrows in his mouth and a little piece of leather and like that's that's his kit. That's all he's got because <laughs> you can't take it with you when you're in animal form. And that darkness of the human soul is definitely kind of a grim dark story trope so to speak but you you are you've got the corner on the whimsy dark market what exactly is whimsy dark well you know i was trying to think um as i developed as a writer and knew i was going to be taking on some different pen names i wanted to do gotta hate the word branding but i i wanted you know <laughs> a word that tied in kind of everything that i did and all i could think of was that every book i've written is somehow whimsical and somehow dark even you go back to the blood series it's sitting on the romance shelves but it's a very dark fantasy world where most of the prey animals are, are predators so like the rabbits and the horses all have these big wampin teeth and will kill you and like that's where my romance is set uh, so even back then you know there was humor but there was a lot of darkness the hit series uh there's no magic it's based on basically our world if banks bought america and turned teens into assassins on bounty hunters so um it's a very grim like it's a, a teen girl given a glock and told if she doesn't go kill 10 people they're going to kill her mom and her but at the same time there's got to be little elements of humor to let out the steam you know the whistling over the graveyard or else you you go crazy so i decided that that would just be my brand so what do you that's know? pretty cool nobody had taken the website yet you mentioned you have multiple pen names is that something uh you want to talk about at all or is it kind of still mysterious and hush hush don't tell anybody no, it's um, it's all open secrets. Uh, I guess my first several books, um, the Blood books, the Hit books, and Servants of the Storm are all with Simon and Schuster. And so when Orbit bought Wake of Vultures, I think that they wanted to kind of set up, uh, you know, a new name so that they weren't, you know, kind of competing with their own with a different publishing house or or mixing any messages. So I, I had always known I wanted to write a lot of different genres. When I was hunting for an agent, that was one of my major things was I, I didn't want an agent that just did, you know, romance or that just did fantasy because I knew I'd want to write a lot of stuff. So 
had that plan for a long time. I actually was like, if you want me to write under a man's name, that's cool. Like, I can have an author photo taken in drag. That great. <laughs> My name is Dick Manley. <laughs> like the manliest name I could think of. Uh, so yeah, all of my all of my Simon stuff is Delilah S. Dawson. All of my Orbit stuff so far is is Lila Bowen. And then the the Geek Rotica was just um, a fun little experiment in self publishing, so I could learn the ropes. But that's under uh, Ava Lovelace, just for fun. Okay, yeah, we'll have to touch on the Geek Rotica <laughs> thing in a in a moment here. Did you did you personally pick Lila Bowen, or did the publisher come up with that? For no, me? I did. They let me. Um, I went with Lila because if you holler it, I will look up. It sounds the same as Delilah. <laughs> I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't want to have to memorize two names. <laughs> and uh, and then Bowen is an old family name from my hometown. So, like, if you go to Roswell, Georgia, and go to the old cemeteries, there's Bowens everywhere. And you mentioned Strike Two. Uh, that's the latest book that you have uh, dropping just next week. Are you all ready for the big release? No, no, I'm not. No. Uh, <laughs> my dad is not doing well health wise, so I definitely oh. have been focused uh, more on family and, and less on the books. This might be the first time I drop the ball and don't have a launch party. So I'm just trying to talk it up online. Oh, okay. Well, we will help you get the get the word out for it. Yeah. So that's book two in the hit series, yes. and that is a uh, young adult. It's young adult, but um, it it definitely uh, doesn't read like oh my god, boys and hair and prom. It reads like <laughs> wow, I've got post traumatic stress syndrome because I just uh, just killed ten people, <laughs> and I can't find my mom, and my house blew up. So um, <laughs> it's definitely readable by by almost anyone. Uh, the cover is one that I think you could safely read a dude on the subway and, and not take any flack for it. Okay. Um, but strike, uh, I you know it's it's book two, and so I guess you know that Patsy lived through lived through the first book. But uh, the the biggest inspiration behind Strike was that I really loved Boyd Crowder on Justified and wanted to write a villain like him. What would you say kind of sets it apart as YA? What makes it YA and not just a thriller? The protagonist is a like seventeen year old girl, and it's in uh, first person. So I think you know in this case YA comes a lot from voice. I don't know. It's weird. You know, Wake of Vultures is written about a teen girl, but it's sold as adult and they're selling it as adult. So I don't know if it has so much to do with uh, the voice and the point of view or who they think the better audience would be. Um, but I'm, I'm basically an 18 year old girl who kills stuff in my head. So that seems to be most of my protagonists are. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm an 18 year old girl that kills. <laughs> but so, I can tell you that Pat Rothfuss was reading Hit on the plane this week. So nice. I've got I've got that behind me. He posted on Twitter. You can't take that away. Awesome. So that's pretty cool. So as far as um, the adult genres, young adult, new adult, uh, <laughs> new new adult. Um, I'm totally adult confused. Uh, maybe I'm stupid, but I don't understand like all the different <laughs> adult. Like, yeah. I mean, I understand young young adult to to an extent, but I don't completely understand all these other yeah new ones. Well, basically, as far as I can figure, it has to do with um, which shelf you're going to find it on and this at the store and how they think they're going to make the most money off it. Um, young adult wasn't even a thing until, you know, Harry Potter and Hunger Games hit. And they started realizing that um, teen girls and women in their 30s were really hot for this stuff. That's that's kind of through a, a 16 to 18 year old's viewpoint. It's very voicey, very kind of usually sassy or snarky. It has to do with often like breaking through, um, you know, you're in this fake world and you break through and see the reality. I mean, it's almost like the Matrix for teen girls, you know, whether it's, you know, I live in a dystopian society where they choose my boyfriend with the computer oh my god i broke through it <laughs> or you know i i suddenly see angels i suddenly see vampires i suddenly see demons but the general idea is you know wow there's something really special about me and i'm going to kick butt and uh it, it kind of makes a nice escapist feeling for uh 
I think to me, women who don't feel like they have much power to change things or be much more than they are, because they say that the biggest readers of YA are women in their 30s. You know, it's like uh, often women who are, you know, have kids or, or have jobs. Um, and, you know, you're kind of stuck in this rut and it gives you this feeling of, oh, my gosh, I'm special and I get to do stuff. Even if the stuff is like Hunger Games type killing stuff, it's still that concept of being special and doing something cool. New adult, to my understanding, they'd hoped it would be about college and right after college experience, but it kind of turned into an entire genre based around slightly broken girls falling in love with very masculine guys who bang them in hotels. <laughs> I don't know. Every book I read, I was like, I know how this is going to end. Um, it's very specific. <laughs> you pick up any random book and that's what it's about. It's a girl with issues that meets this broken boy that fixes her through sex. And so that's kind of what new adult has become. It's really weird. So if any, so if anyone out there is interested in new adult, um, you'll know uh, it because you'll see a guy's, uh, all the covers are black and white with the guy's oiled up chest covered with tattoos. That's nice. pretty much, yeah, which is cool. Like, I mean, I've, I've read it. It's, it's very like, it's a thing you can read on the plane and then you don't think about all the turbulence really, but. And then, you know, adult is basically what anyone doesn't sell is the other stuff, I guess. It's weird. It's weird. Like, you never quite know what you're writing, and then it sells, and then your editor gets to decide. And then you you have also written Geek Rodica. Mm, yeah, I have. Let's, let's, let's uh, touch on that for a moment. The Lover that's, Fox that's, and the Super Fox. You've got two titles. I do. Out in, I do. That's, and it's under a different pen name. It is. Ava Lovelace. That's a good one. That, that would work. What What is Geek Erotica exactly? Um, it is uh, erotica based on the people being geeks, but they're, <laughs> you know, they're still pretty hot and and know what they're doing. So um, I guess it is uh, Mary Sueism for sexy geeks. But like the first one was predicated on um, the Atlanta. Hothlanta, we called it, where we got this huge, crazy blizzard and people basically had to get out of their cars on the road and like walk to the nearest light because they couldn't drive anymore. So it's a girl who is stuck in this and gets uh, rear-ended ha, 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 by this guy, <laughs> who, you know, like he's got the, the like the lumber sexual haircut and he's like a home brewer who owns a restaurant and he's like, hey, you're going to freeze to death you know, why don't you come to my apartment, which is right there. And, you know, he's like, here is my driver's license. Please call your mom and give her my driver's license number. I'm not a creep, but you're going to freeze to death. And so she ends up, you know, having a very nice time. He feeds her wonderful chocolates. He feeds her homebrew beer, like, and gets all of her, you know, Star Wars references. So I don't know. I thought <laughs> geeks needed something like that. Interesting. How's the reader response been to that series so far? Um, I mean, everybody who's read it likes it as far as I know. I don't uh, push it as much or like they say that with like self-published stuff, what you need is a long tail that your readers want something new every three months. And once you've got like eight or 10 books built up, that's, you know, the back catalog. And if you have everything every three months, then Amazon uh, pushes your stuff higher up in their listings. Um, I just wrote these two stories, spit them out, put them up and was like, OK, babies, have fun. Go swim. <laughs> And gotcha. I have not done as much supporting. I haven't put a backlist together with them. I haven't like attached them to my over other books. So unless you follow me on Twitter and Facebook, you probably haven't heard of them. And that's that's okay. I've been pretty focused on the the traditional stuff. But I like knowing they're out there and that I can do it. So my ver my version of geek erotica would be like people playing Nintendo or something. They they I mean there is discuss like there are there are like joystick jokes and. Uh, uh, yeah. I think it is the first. Okay, so I th I'm pretty sure that the Lumber Fox is the first erotica to ever include the Konami cheat code. Oh, like, sweet. Nice. It's in there. Up, 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 down, down, left, right, left, right, B, A, B, A, start. That's right. I think it's select. Select, start. Yeah. Select, select, start. <laughs> select, start. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck that up. <laughs> <laughs> totally lost geek cred on that it's, one. It's in there. Like, it's in the erotica, so. That's amazing. 
And you also wrote a little little book for this uh, obscure series known as Star Wars. Yeah, I'm still not sure um, what a Star War is. Like, <laughs> how do you battle a flaming ball of gas? But yeah, I'm down. So you, uh, it's uh, The Perfect Weapon Yes, is the name of the title. It's official Star Wars, big deal, Lucasfilm. Uh, it was a, it was a, a kind of a prequel-ish thing to The Force Awakens. Yes. Yes, it was. Setting up a, a character that actually appeared in the fucking movie. Oh my god, I was so excited when that happened. I was like, ah! Yeah, legit. It's real. Yeah, for reals. It's for reals. For reals, because you got to lie. That's, you got to speak. That's very awesome. How'd you get set up with Star Wars and and, and getting to uh, write a novel uh, that's official kind of canon? Well, I drew a pentagram in baby blood. Nice. <laughs> no, no, I works every time. Yeah. yeah, you know, you you never quite know what subtle alchemy uh, got that deal. I I I can guess. I have a good track record in the industry for being very fast and hitting my deadlines uh, with good quality drafts. There's a Star Wars editor who bought my first Blood series right before she moved to Lucasfilm. So, you know, I know she she knows me. Um, I have talked at length on Twitter how much I love Star Wars and would love to write for them. I wrote, I was tapped by Amazon to write a uh, Kindle World short based on Valiant Shadow Man comic, which I turned around, I think, 25,000 words in like nine days. So I've got kind of this long tail of um, if you wanted me to write a short story for you on short notice and have it be very high quality and very, you know, keen to the original material, I'm, I'm pretty good at that. So I hope it was some of that. Um, I'm also good friends with Kevin Hearn and Chuck Wendig and Chris Golden. You know, Matt Stover blurbed Wake of Vulture. So I've got some of the Star Wars alums are, are my blurbers and people that are on my team. So hopefully it was it was all of those things mixed together. That's a fun and exciting endeavor for sure. I'm sure many of our listeners would, would jump at the chance to write a Star Wars fiction for sure. Um, and the Rogue One trailer uh, just dropped one, two days ago. Did you get a chance to check that out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We um, we have super bad internet because we live in the mountains. So we basically had to like turn off all of the Xboxes and turn off all <laughs> iPads and like all huddle around one computer. Be like, come on, come on. You can do it, buddy. But yeah. <laughs> Buffers. The little alarm was just blaring throughout our house all day long. Did you enjoy the trailer for Rogue One? I thought it looked pretty, pretty badass. I did. Yeah. I mean, it's, I guess, no matter how much The Force Awakens has given us reason to trust in Star Wars, you still have that corner in your mind that's going, please, no prequels. Please be good. Yes, please. Um, and also, you know, please don't just be, uh, you know, TIE fighters in space. Like, it was so nice the way that they focused on on the story to make you care about that. But, you know, they've learned a lot about how to really excite people and, and what really uh, gets our hearts into the game, in addition to the pew, pew, pew. <laughs> so, so as far as... Um... Uh, going down a controversial uh, path here, uh, which I like to do sometimes. I like to walk on the wild side and <laughs> go into dark territory. Uh, some some people have taken issue with uh, this sort of reboot of Star Wars and how uh, it's uh, put mayonnaise in their chocolate or what, however you, however you want to call it. It's, they, it's ruined some flavor of the original Star Wars <laughs> by certain elements being introduced or certain characters being highlighted. Uh, for example, the main character is a female in Rogue One, and there's already been some um, <laughs> people bitching about that for whatever reason. I'm not completely sure. But what is your take on including more diversity and more 
different kinds of characters in the Star Wars universe instead of keeping it like it's 1970. Oh, I'm I'm 100% down on that. Like it's it's I feel like Star Wars is I don't know, I'm glad it's changing with the times. Uh it's kind of weird to watch it now with my kids and you know, there's not a single black person in it. There's like one guy, you know, that maybe gets to push one button and, you know, there are Asians, like even like there was a huge difference even uh, in the force awakens and like the, the rebel and the, well, but they're not the rebel in the empire, but you know, it, like in their little war rooms where in the original trilogy, it's like, it's all men, like in any room of people randomly pushing buttons, wearing uniforms, it's all dudes. And in this one, like there's men, there's women, there's people that you're not sure there's different colors, there's weird aliens, like, and you're like, okay, this is what it would look like. It wouldn't just be 40 white dudes pushing buttons. <laughs> um, so it's a lot more realistic. And I mean, this is the world that my kids are growing up in, like it is a diverse world, like they don't go to the Chick-fil-A playground and be playing with 14 white kids. <laughs> so it's really welcome, I think, and necessary. I mean, I remember I, like there's such a big difference between the world and how kids are raised where, you know, my daughter will come home and be like, I made a new friend today. And I was like, oh, what's her name? And she'll be like, Mary. And I'll be like, what does she look like? And she's like, oh, well, she has brown hair. And then I meet Mary and, you know, she's black or Asian. And when I was a kid, the first thing I'd say would be like, she's black. And like my kids don't even think of that as a qualifier. They're like, yeah, her hair's brown. What? <laughs> and it's amazing. And even like in my books, my first blood book um, was about a white girl and a white guy. And there were a couple of people of character or, whatever, or people of, of color. And like, as each book came, I kind of got more and more comfortable with my legs as a writer to where like Nettie Lonesome of Wake of Vultures is a half black, half native girl raised as a slave who decides she's going to live her life as a man, changes her name to a man's name and wears pants. Um, so I've got a trans biracial, gender queer, bisexual character. And like when people talk about the book, that's not what they talk about. They talk about her adventures. <laughs> um, so I feel like the, Star Wars needs to reflect the world we live in, that it would be extremely off-color and wretched if it was just a bunch of white dudes ruling the galaxy, saving princesses occasionally. It, it means the world to see Rey being the hero, The Force Awakens, and be watching that with my daughter. And it's not like my son comes home and it's like, I didn't like it, it was a girl. He just comes home and is like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. When you were writing The Perfect Weapon, was that something that you kind of considered in any of the characters that you were putting together? or? Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what they said to me was, we want a kick-ass spy story about a girl. And I was like, oh, I am uniquely attuned to do that for you. <laughs> so I just set out to make her, you know, a female James Bond. Um, while, you know, at the same time, like having read the old Star Wars books, I wanted it to be very much a story that any Star Wars fan could like. Her sexuality is never mentioned, but at the same time, like, I wanted anyone picking up the book to enjoy it, whether it was, you know, a 10-year-old kid or someone who's been reading every Star Wars book and, you know, is a 50-year-old white guy. Like, I feel like it's a story anyone could enjoy. I, I didn't want to, you know, push anybody out. I wanted it to be just a good old-fashioned Star Wars story. But at the same time, like, it's still a female main character and uh, she kicks everybody's ass. Yeah, I love that... Uh... Star Wars is more like a real universe, real universe, you know. <laughs> and it is interesting that two movies in a row, the main the main character is a woman, and and both both movies have gotten this kind of uh, oh, you know, what, uh, you know, people complaining <laughs> about it like they do on the internet. So what what I want to see in fiction in general, especially in fantasy, uh, I love medieval style fantasy. But it kind of limits what you can do as far as having diverse characters. If well, you're, see, I don't only think that's true. I think you can you can rejam up the past in any way you want to. 
I don't know. I'm working on an epic fantasy right now, and it's nobody nobody in there is. It's definitely not all traditional white people. I feel like the structure definitely lends itself to like fantasy worlds where people are are more diverse than maybe they were in the European history we were taught. I'd like well, to hope so, at least. Well, I think as far as certain people are afraid to to write diverse characters in a medi- medieval style setting. One reason is because they don't want to misrepresent people that they don't know anything about. And this is something I've seen come up so many times on various writer forums is people want to write diverse characters in fantasy settings. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're writing in medieval style settings, so they don't know how to do that or they're afraid to not write the character in a, in a way that is appropriate. So is there any way to deal with that other than having people always research and research and research all these topics? Or is there a way you can just write these characters without having to do all of that and not worrying about misrepresenting people just trying to write them to the best of your ability. It definitely can be very scary as a new writer um, when you've just gotten, I mean, I remember my first few books, the the main character was basically me with some changes because I was so worried about doing it wrong or, you know, I, I know how I feel. I don't know how anybody else feels. And the more and more books I wrote, the more I was, I felt a push from within to write very different characters from me. First, person of color I wrote as a character was Dovey in Servants of the Storm, who is raised in Savannah, Georgia, where my husband is from. Her dad's white and her mom's black. Um, And Savannah is a very racially charged city, and it's a very racially charged story. But I was really worried about it. And so I I asked um, a person of color who was a writer to, to read it for me as a beta reader and to be very blunt about what I had gotten wrong or right or how I can make it better. And she was super helpful and really kind. And, you know, these days, in addition to if you if you know someone who can help you with it, there are also things we call sensitivity betas. There are beta readers and editors who will read your story for this sort of thing. There's a website now called frightinthemargins.org where they have uh, sensitivity readers and they can help you write, you know, outside of, of your own personal experience. Uh, there are writing forums where you can find beta readers or critique partners who can help you with this. It's a very tricky place, though, especially I feel like for uh, white writers, where we want to include diversity that we see in the real world. But, you know, there seems to be a fine line between including diverse characters in your story and taking something from the own voices, you know, maybe writing a, a very specific racial situation that you, you or, or even sexual, you know, writing a coming of age story or like if I was trying to write, you know, a, a realistic story of a child growing up in a very certain uh, racially or, or sexually charged life experience that I don't have, I would feel very tricky about that. But somehow the, the fantasy elements and making up these new worlds and letting these characters define themselves makes it more accessible for me and, and I hope for my readers. So uh, I guess my, my advice would be like to start with a, a diverse cast and, and heavily avoiding uh, tokenism or stereotypes, but finding people you trust that can uh, read, you know, read for you and, and help guide you into uh, where, you're, where you're doing honor to those voices and, and doing more good than harm, because there is uh, unfortunately a, a possibility for harm if it's done in an insensitive uh, or ignorant manner. Yeah, I think that's the uh, that's the worry I've noticed. They don't want to get backlash for misrepresenting anybody, and, and and I think people have their hearts in the right place when they're trying. They want to write fiction that is more inclusive, but they just kind of flail around with it. Yeah, it's kind of funny how we feel more comfortable writing like 
a seven-armed green alien than we do <laughs> a Hispanic person sometimes. It's definitely something we want to see more in fantasy. And then one solution that stands out to me is having more writers from different countries and different backgrounds and these kind of things that can introduce people to these worlds and lifestyles and everything so they yeah. can get that experience through reading and that's how we all get experience as writers really is reading and learning and those kind of things. Yeah, and, and lifting up their voices too, you know, listening and figuring out the best way to be an ally, which is oftentimes, you know, just retweeting or sharing or pointing things out versus, you know, trying to have a, a horse in that race, you know. So litreactor.com is a website we actually have not ever talked about on the show before. I'm not sure why. It's a it's a pretty badass website. Yeah, uh, I mean, Chuck Palahniuk teaches for them. And Delilah S. Dawson I've heard does that. as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you got to offer up a, a variety of classes, a world building um, character as well. Um, how'd you get set up with the folks at Lit Reactor? You know, it's so hard. I've been on Twitter since I think maybe 2008, and it's hard to quantify when I met certain people or came into certain spheres, but um, I think I, I was friends with Rob Hart, who is a writer y'all should definitely talk to. I think he writes um, crime fiction, but uh, he is one of their class facilitators over there, and I think he uh, he's the one who, who brought me into the fold. But it's a really fun way to learn. Um, I don't know, when I first started writing, I was a new mom. I was at home, trapped under a baby on a couch in Atlanta. Didn't have an MFA or access to um, university of that matter. Um, had been out of college for a while. Didn't have a ton of money for, you know, classes and didn't really understand publishing. So everything I learned about publishing, I learned online. And I remember there was a period of time where I, I was just getting nothing but auto rejections on my query. And I had the idea of like, I can't, I don't know if my query is wrong, if my first draft is wrong, if my entire book is wrong, if I am just a wrong person who needs to die in a fire. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Because, you know, an auto, like a form rejection tells you nothing. Hmm. So when I offer these classes, I, I do lectures where I try to, you know, teach and give examples. But I feel like the biggest benefit is in having, you know, a, a traditionally published author look at your first chapter and, you know, maybe give you some feelings about where you might be turning off agents or where you could maybe tune it up, start faster, do this sort of thing. It was exactly what I would have just been really anxious for at the time. Some actual feedback. And did those classes go pretty well for you? It looks like you had like four of them. Uh, I think I think I do like one every quarter, so maybe three to four a year. Um, I have a, a longer world building 101 and a character 101, and then I'm trying for the first time right now a condensed world building 101. So it's you know instead of become a god, it's become a demigod. Um, so it's only got two weeks worth of classes, um, but and it only has one uh, first chapter critique, whereas the longer class has, it's like you can turn in your first chapter for week three and I critique it and then you can choose whether to, you know, completely redo it and send that back in or show me your second chapter. So I, I hope they're going well. No one has sent me a bag of flaming poop yet to my people. <laughs> so I feel like that's that's pretty good. And I mean, I've had a couple students who have, you know, shown up on Twitter a couple months later and been like, hey, I have an agent now. So it works, hopefully, if you listen. That's awesome. Some people do not listen. Some people, like five seconds after the lecture goes up, they send me their first chapter that is nothing but, you know, elf lineage. And I'm like, you kind of need to identify a character and have an action happen. Uh, so don't do that. Did you hear anything I just said? <laughs> yeah. No, they, 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 so now, like, I post the lecture and I post the assignment. I'm like, if you put your first chapter in in the next five minutes, I will know that you are a cheater. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, the elf lineage is becoming a new popular subgenre. I don't know you if you've heard, of, heard about it. Cool it is to people. <laughs> it's that I would say that's my number one 
my number one uh, query quibble from from every time I see somebody's like first chapter is just like you need to establish a main character and a plot. You do not need to tell me about the elf wars. <laughs> More elf wars. They're very important. <laughs> so you, you've kind of given away samples of your. Uh, writing knowledge on various websites. One would be uh, one of my favorite writing advice websites, uh, Chuck Wendig's Terrible Minds, yes. And you have a very insightful post that would be interesting for our listeners, 25 Blood Spatter Tips for Writing Violence. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, Which is interesting because uh, my favorite part was actually talking to, when you talk about healing. Um, o- often in stories, people get the shit beat out of them, and then <laughs> five minutes later, they're up and like, I got my sword, and I'll cut your head off. But yeah. you wouldn't be able to do that in real life. So right. are there any lines as far as uh, writers, writers should be wary of crossing as far as violence goes? Do you, do you feel like writers need to hold back on any kind of violent? Uh, no, nah, man, murder everybody. <laughs> but as far as describing it, like, because Grimdark has a, I think, somewhat unwarranted reputation as being the blood and violence and guts and dumping shit all over everybody uh, subgenre, That's which very is very unsanitary. No wonder your people aren't like. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not. It's not like that, though. Yeah. I don't know why it has that reputation. Um, um, yeah, like, um, I, I, all of my stories are violent. I don't. I don't think I've written any stories uh, that weren't somehow pretty violent. So I feel like it has a lot to do with you know what you as a writer want to say, what the violence contributes to the story. Like if really describing in detail, you know, what the intestines look like as they pull up like a kitten playing in yarn. Um, you know, it it just depends on who your writer, who your audience is, what they find interesting, and if the level of depth you're getting to is contributing to the story or, or slowing it down. You know, I think we see that a lot in fight scenes where people take ten pages to describe a fight scene that takes thirty seconds and you want to keep the story moving. You want to keep the tension up. And when you really delve into the individual veins glistening in the viscera, you're, you're kind of going, okay, they're fighting to the death. Who's stopping to look at the sun reflecting on the veins? Um, I don't know. You never want to bore your reader. You want your reader to be on the edge of their seat. So I think for me, it has more to do with the reader's reaction. And um, I mean, authors are um, in love with being gods, with showing you every glittering facet of what's happening and you you just can't sacrifice that for the the tension that makes the fight important i feel but you know at the same time i think in servants of the storm like there's one point at which like dovey is having her ass kicked by a demon and she notices like a single drip of blood coming out of the girl's ear and is kind of fascinated with it and i think that there are these weirdly slow moments during violence where your brain uh, is running at a different speed. Like I remember I was, I had an emergency C-section for one of my kids and you know, it's this moment like my hands are Velcroed down. I am awake while someone has cut open my guts and I like hear the split and I'm like, what was that? And my husband goes, those were your intestines hitting the table. And it looks like a Romero film. (laughs) Like that's what I remember from my child's birth is being like, holy shit, my intestines are on a table. (laughs) And I remember that. So like there are these weird moments where you, your brain pauses for a split second and you process something, but you get one moment. You don't get 75 of them during a very tense fight scene. And I also feel like um, maybe getting the shit kicked out of you will teach you how to describe a fight scene better than, you know, (laughs) this bride's beautifully choreographed fencing. Like, you, you need to know what it feels like to take a hit. You need to know what it feels like. I mean, I'm not saying go get hurt on purpose, but I'm saying like if you if you haven't 
personally been in a fight or taken some damage, like maybe take a sparring class and see what it's like to get knocked upside the head. Because no matter how strong you are, like there's a minute where you just stand there and your head wobbles. Yeah, I've been struck in the head with a steel chair, and uh, there's that that part where your brain just kind of goes. Yeah, <laughs> and the world kind of wobbles, and you have to hold still for a minute before you're like, "Oh, right, fight! I have to do something. <laughs> I'm gonna die." So that that's a big uh, that's a big thing about uh, fantasy in general. Seems to be kind of a violent genre. Have you ever come across any fantasy at all that is not violent in some capacity? Because I can't think of any. <laughs> I can't. But I also, if if I did, I would find it unrealistic. Like, the world is violent. And the thing about fantasy worlds is that usually they have to do with some kind of either vigilantism, working outside the law, traveling through lands that aren't your own. Like, it's definitely, you can't write a book that's like, they had a great diplomatic meeting and everyone agreed. <laughs> like, that's not a book. Everyone shook hands. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, okay, so I, I, I tell this, like, I, I grew up in a violent household. I am a victim of rape. I don't walk out of the Kroger whistling at night. Like, I check my six. I check who's behind me. I check who's against the walls. I look between cars. I hold my keys. Like, that's my life. I can't imagine a world where I wasn't anticipating, expecting, and working against possible violence. And so a book like that would ring untrue. I wouldn't trust the writer, and I'd put it down. And you also um, give credit to Heroes Die. Oh, God, Stover is so good essential reading what is it about that book that uh, kind of resonates with you? you you noted it here on the on the article yeah no um stover's a fighter he's got all his bona fides he's put in the work uh, and he's an amazing writer but his his fight scenes i feel like you can you know in the same way when i teach how to write sex i'm like go read these certain books read the scenes that really work for you and glean from them like stover is my go-to for violence it's sharp it's beautiful harry takes uh, major damage and has legitimate reactions and has to come back from it. Like uh, it's realistic and it's beautifully written. And um, I just don't think you could you could learn how to write violence from a, a better teacher and a super nice guy too. <laughs> yeah, it's weird the people that are have the darkest kind of writing or the happiest nicest. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, man the horror the horror crew is so nice. And you know, I also really appreciate Heroes Die because like all of that stuff Harry goes through. Like, yeah, he ends up in a wheelchair pooping into a bowl. Like, it is definitely not the case of like we severed his spine and fixed him. You're like, no, his life sucked after that. Wow. Spoiler. No, I'm depressed. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, TerribleMinds.com is the website uh, Chuck Windig, folks may have heard of him But an excellent blog, and that blog post is pretty fantastic I recommend folks pick it up um, And we do have a, a Our next feature is, is what we call the 30 second geek out All right. We're basically We're going to throw a, a myriad of topics at you And for each topic you have 30 seconds To wax eloquent, these are going to be topics That you're pretty familiar with um, But after 30 seconds you will have to stop okay. You will be. You will get the buzzer All of yeah. our guests actually hate this um, But <laughs> keep making people do it. Well, it's uh, not like, you know, the third law of trigonometry, and I'll be like, uh, it sucks. <laughs> you actually say uh, on your on your webpage, come geek out with me on Twitter. So it's actually very <laughs> appropriate that we have a segment called 30 Second Geek Out. Second geek out yeah. okay. So basically, we will give you 30 seconds to geek out on uh, various topics, and Rob will uh, jarringly buzz you when the 30 seconds are up. Timer in hand. Okay, let's go. 30-second geek out. Delilah S. Dawson. With Delilah S. Dawson. Okay, number one is Nettie Lonesome from Wake of Vultures. 
Nettie Lonesome is awesome. Nettie Lonesome is the character I created solely to torture. She goes through every horrible thing you can and kicks it ass and come out the other side. And she can't abide rudeness, but is herself rude. She can, she's a good shot with a gun. She can gentle a horse. She can skin and eat a snake. She gets inappropriate crushes on unavailable people and pursues them anyway. She uh, kills a vampire with a twig and uh, when a sickle doesn't work. Nettie Lonesome is the character. Your time is up, Delilah. That's all you get. Okay. (laughs) See, Tully was a little jarring, right? Everyone hates this. Why do we keep doing this? (laughs) Oh, that's cool. That's cool. All right. Topic number two is the old Star Wars, the original trilogy. 30 seconds. Go. Go. Okay, the old Star Wars is awesome. Um, I am a big fan of the aliens, the Blue Milk, the Two Sons, the Han Solo, the Millennium Falcon, Chewie. Did I say the Ewoks? I really love the Ewoks. Don't tell anybody. I've already told everybody. Ewoks forever. Um, I really love uh, Hoth and the Tauntauns, and I love the Cantina and Jabba's Palace, and Max Greedo and all the really crazy, weird Cantina aliens. And I love Princess Loa, Leia with Loa Leia with the cinnamon bun hair, and the fact that she's the only one with a high hit rate in the whole trilogy, basically at all. And there's so much unapologetic geekdom and fun in there, and nobody. Eh, buzz. Buzzer. <laughs> Greedo. Let's and Greedo. <laughs> Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Number three, the prequels. 30 seconds. Go. <laughs> time is up. <laughs> <And> time. <laughs> I think I really missed that one. That's the longest oh, no. dead air we've had on here. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm not even going to edit that out. I'm just going to keep that sweet right in there. Okay. Topic number four, the new Star Wars, The Force Awakens and Rogue One, which is upcoming. And the books as well. 30 seconds. 30 seconds. Go. Go. Oh, my God. The Force Awakens was so amazing. It was so exciting. It was so fast. It looks old and new at the same time. Ray was an amazing heroine. She was so scrappy and got stuff done. Uh, Finn was just so cool that he stood up to the Empire. Poe Dameron is everybody's new favorite boyfriend. Um, I really enjoyed how Kylo Ren was basically like every boy I dated in high school. And I really enjoyed um, watching uh, one of the the Weasley brothers be the evil's Hux. Um, I want to find out who Snoke is. I can't wait to see Rogue one and see uh that girl kick some major butt and and drive i mean buzzer and i'm time buzzer. <laughs> in the trail off and the, <laughs> the wonderful trail off and it's all very good okay next topic uh i'm hoping you've seen this movie deadpool 30 I seconds I, I haven't I can't. oh shit. I really want to to, well, my, my dad's sick so we don't have babysitting uh, Sorry. Uh-oh. It's a problem. I feel okay. I feel very embarrassed about it. Because I love, like, I Ryan Reynolds as Hannibal King in Blade 3 is, like, my all-time favorite character. <laughs> I love him so much. That's a very obscure... <laughs> it's not! It's Hannibal King! Blade 3? Yeah! I love that <laughs> movie. It's got Parker Posey and Triple H? What? Yeah, tri- Triple uh, H's ponytail? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, Boots. You are a fan of Boots. Yes. 30 seconds. Wax eloquent on Boots. Go. 
Boots are the best shoes you will ever own. If you buy quality boots, there is almost no break-in period. You can wear them anywhere. I go hiking in them. I ride them uh, on horses. I take them to the airport because you don't have to unlace anything and be that tool who's like unlacing his shoes at the airport. Um, they make you two inches taller. They make you feel swaggery and stompy. They go with almost everything. They're really good for dancing and for kicking things in the nuts. Um, they look really pretty on a shelf and they smell like cowhide. And I don't understand sneakers at all, so people should probably stop wearing sneakers and wear boots instead. 30 seconds. You hit that one. Perfect. All right. Well done. I love how you said kicking things in the nuts. Just <laughs> anything that has nuts gets kicked. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> Pointy toes are just made for that, man. Yeah, I have some boots. They're kind of like, they're not cowboy boots, but yeah, I much prefer them since I have to take my shoes off constantly in Japan. Right. Uh, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> I just have to unlace them every time. Okay, next topic you actually mentioned last in the last uh, run through, horses. Thirty seconds. Geek out on horses. Horses are the best. Um, I was uh, a child who all I loved was horses so much that everybody called me horse like it was a bad thing. So that was my nickname. It's in all my yearbooks. And then when I grew up and got a horse, I put it on Facebook and was like, "Suck it, y'all! I got one." <laughs> um, horses are smart and entertaining. They're like a motorcycle that thinks for you. Uh, they are very fun for riding out into nature and getting to look at other animals up close because other animals accept this as an animal. Um, my horse is super hilarious and funny. And when I get done riding, she rolls around on her back on the grass and looks like a Nay. Nay. <laughs> Nay. She rolls Nay. around on her back. I have to hear this. She rolls around Like back. a dirt. Well, they, they, cause they're trying to like itch off the, like they've had the saddle on. It's basically like scratching your back after wearing a tight shirt all day. But like oh. you have this majestic animal that starts rolling on his back with this complete moron. <laughs> He's awesome. so majestic. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Let's okay. do cool tattoos. 30 okay. seconds. Go. So when I was six, I told my mom I was going to have tattoos and she told me that only bikers and whores had tattoos. And I was like, I guess I'll be a biker or a whore. <laughs> I'm still not really either of those, but uh, I'm as I get older and older, I get more and more tattoos. So I have a Cheshire cat on my hip and a bunch of flowers on my back and a moth on my left arm and a key on my left wrist and a feather on my right wrist and a peacock feather on my neck. And I do not regret any of them. And when I do, I just cover them with bigger things. But uh, they're a great way to identify like-minded people that aren't closed-minded dicks and a great way to identify closed-minded dicks as well. Good stuff. Which one hurt the most? Um, the first one on my back went very thickly over my spine. So when I had it covered up, I had mm -hmm. shading over a scar of black over my spine. And so I was screaming, but um, at the time I was having it done by, uh, if you guys know James Tuck, if you don't, you need to. He's a great writer. He's a super cool guy, and he, he uh, is a tattoo artist. So I was doing it at his shop, and one of his uh, artists was doing it. And so I, I, like, I screamed, and he was like, Delilah, you can blame it on me. So the whole thing, she, I'm like, God damn, you talk. What the fuck, Tug? What are you? I hate you. You did this. That was really cathartic. <laughs> it's always good to say fuck you to people. That's very good. No, y'all should interview him. He is a cool dude. And his next book that's coming out is like, it's so dark, I almost threw up while I was eating lunch while I was blurbing it. He's on my friends list. Yeah, oh, he's cool. Yeah, he's writing, uh, he writes his James R. Tuck and his Levi Black. Interesting. We'll put him on our little radar there. Yeah. Delilah Dawson. So we come to the conclusion of the 30-second geek out. The last topic you are probably somewhat well-versed in because you won a fucking award for it, um, but steampunk <laughs> will be the last topic to wax 30 seconds. We may give you 35 seconds on this one, just to be prudent. Um, but yeah, 30-second geek out, Delilah S. Dawson on Steampunk Go. 
So steampunk is this kind of weird thing that is an awesome idea about Victorian science fiction, where basically what if you could go back in history and make magical machines that did awesome things that we couldn't actually do? Um, the unfortunate thing about steampunk is that the books and movies have never hit big, so I still have my fingers crossed that it's going to. But uh, steampunk people are very welcoming. They love costuming. They love building things. If you go to a steampunk con, they will be super welcoming and nice to you. Um, I have several uh, costumes and enjoy wearing them. Uh, once you learn how to eat half a cake while wearing a corset, they're really not that bad. But if you like intricate details, boots, you can turn a uh, water machine gun into a really cool steampunk gun with just some paint. Yeah. That's all. You could have gone seriously for probably 10 minutes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I have very conflicted feelings about steampunk. Do you? Yes. Yes. Where's the conflict come from? Well, when I wrote, like, I've liked steampunk books. I loved the aesthetic online. I wrote these books, and I, like, went to, started going to steampunk cons going, oh, my God, these people in me are made for each other. Steampunks are not that big into books. Um, they, <laughs> they mostly tend to spend their money on uh, makers, on handmade clothing items, on jewelry, on weapons, on machines. But in my experience, and maybe they just don't like my books, but uh, <laughs> anytime I've gone to a steampunk con, I have seen uh, very little reader interest. Um, my books seem to be much more popular with uh, sci-fi fantasy readers than, than with steampunk. So I was just really disappointed because I thought that it would be like the greatest thing ever. And it was more like, oh, you write books? Oh, but do you make anything? That's... No. Oh, my. Okay. <laughs> Have fun yeah. at the con. Yeah. But, but they've always been very nice. Like they're very welcoming people. And they'll be like, if I remember my first costume, I'd never worn a costume in public. And I was so scared because I'd like cobbled this thing together. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is so cute. Where did you like they were so polite and nice about my costume, even though it sucked. <laughs> I had like this warm spot for like if you haven't been to a con and you've never worn a costume, like they will be nice to you even if it sucks because they like they get that, you know. Well, that's that's why I'm on this podcast. Uh, I suck at it, but Rob <laughs> Rob just lets me be on it. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. If you could invent a punk genre, what what would you and what would you have? Whimsy punk or some other kind of punk? Oh, uh, my favorite one. Actually, we did invent one. Uh, me and Kevin Hearn and Chuck Wendig decided to make cheese punk. So we have this book called uh, Three Slices that's based on Tyromancy, which is fortune telling through cheese. <laughs> so it's got one of Kevin's Iron Druid stories. It's got Chuck's Miriam Black story. It's got one of my blood stories. We basically were like, hey, let's do this really dumb thing together. And it's like really well. People are really enjoying it. But we were like, cheese punk should be a thing because we fucking love cheese. <laughs> so it happened. Nice. You do love cheese. Even put it on your website. You're like, I fucking love cheese. What's your favorite cheese? I, I found out that I'm gluten. I can't eat gluten anymore. Like I had this oh. big health scare last year and I had my gallbladder taken out. Now if I eat flour, I'm like sick for three days. So like cheese has become my, my cake replacement. Um, I really like uh, drunken goats. And I really like this, um, this weird stank ass cheese called Cremant. That's like a like goat cow hybrid but it comes in like a it looks like a little cake that's probably why i like it is because it looks like a cake <laughs> with its own like little like velvety cheese mold outside layer that looks like kind of like cake frosting so it stinks i put it in the fridge and my kids are like oh god it died i, like, I, <laughs> I love how you called it stank ass i haven't heard that, <laughs> haven't heard that in a while well, nothing about this interview has been stank-ass. Um, it's been a pleasure to uh, get you on the line today, Delilah S. Dawson. You are no doubt a literary badass. Um, for folks who want to keep up with you, um, do you have any con appearances coming up? Or? I do. I will be at uh, the RT Book Convention in Las Vegas next weekend. Uh, Wake of Vultures is getting the Fantasy Book of the Year Award. Which I'm very oh, excited wow. about because they're made of glass and pointy. And you're like, if there was a home invasion, I could jam this into somebody's brain. <laughs> um, but I'll be uh, on doing a kick-ass fantasy heroine um, 
event there in the big book fair, uh, Constellation in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, which I've never been to Nebraska before, um, is April 22nd through 24th. I'm the guest of honor there. So I'm super excited about that. And then it's kind of a quiet summer until Dragon Con, September 2nd, which I go to every year and have a fantastic time at. Excellent, excellent. So a couple of stops if folks want to visit you, say hello in general. Yeah, I've got an events page on my blog, which is whimsydark.com, so you can always see where I'm going to be. Sometimes I'll, you know, add in an extra signing, drought up to Malaprops in North Carolina or something, and it's always on there. (laughs) And then, uh, so you're on Twitter, at Delilah S. Dawson, so not too confusing for that handle. that's me. And then you you Instagram like a boss. You're all over Instagram. Oh, thank you. I'm I'm trying really hard to keep up with what the kids are up to. I (laughs) Snapchat, <laughs> but Instagram. On I get it. You just take a picture of your foot and you filter it like nineteen. <laughs> I love the filters. Yeah, there's so many cool ones. It's that you like can I can make there. a decent picture. I'll take it. Right. <laughs> I can't. I can't use Instagram because I don't have a smartphone. Oh, I. Well, I guess I have. I, I have like an Android, but I don't have like an Apple phone or whatever. Apple. Rob makes fun of <laughs> Rob makes fun of me because I don't. I don't like technology. And, and you do a podcast. And I do a podcast. How's that, how's that work? He's doing it through like a vacuum tube and a <laughs> photograph. Yeah. I just shout into the air and it somehow ends up <laughs> There's a online. tin can with a string from Mississippi. Yeah. Hey, what are y'all doing? <laughs> awesome. Well, Delilah, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Best of luck with um, all of the writerly endeavors. Lots of cool stuff. I uh, hope folks can uh, follow you online, check out your website, tons of writing advice, lots of cool books and fiction coming your way. Lit Reactor, you're just a literary firestorm of awesome. Oh, thank you. I want you to write so that keep... on my mirror and lip <laughs> And I'll read that intro for you any <laughs> anytime you need it. I'll be my, my phone ring. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks for, for for hanging out on the Grim Tidings podcast. It's been a blast. Uh, take care, Delilah. Thanks, y'all, too. You can find us online at facebook.com slash the Grim Tidings podcast or on Twitter at Grim Dark Fiction. Download the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean. And if you like this show, please share it and leave a review. On behalf of co-host Philip Overby and myself, Rob Matheny, thanks for listening to this episode of the Grim Tidings podcast. We'll see you next time. podcasting.